0: For first-time horse owners and new riders, finding the information and support you need can be challenging. Luckily, Equine Network has partnered with Sentinel and Absorbine to bring you MyNewHorse.com as your one-stop shop for easy-to-understand horse care information and guidance. Visit MyNewHorse.com. You're listening to Horse Radio Network part of the Equine Network family. (coughs) Welcome to Sleep Stories for Equestrians. I'm your host, Ashley Winch. We're so happy you're here to relax and unwind. If you fall asleep and miss the story, we will recap it at the beginning of the next episode. We've also selected and edited these stories for ultimate relaxation Removing any stressful bits without affecting the story's integrity, so you can focus on drifting off to sleep. With that, let's settle down and prepare for our story. The gates are closed. The horses sleep. The day's work done. The chores complete. Now let us rest, our bodies and minds drift off to sleep and close your eyes it's time for us to turn down for the night now let's breathe in breathe out and turn off the light one more time breathe out breathe in now let us begin For our first story, we're going to be reading Stormy, Misty's Full by Marguerite Henry Copywritten in 1963 This book is dedicated to the boys and girls everywhere whose pennies, dimes, and dollars helped restore the wild herds on Assateague Island and who, by their spontaneous outpouring of love, gave courage to the stricken people of Chincoteague. Prologue Land Across the Water In the gigantic Atlantic Ocean, just off the coast of Virginia is a sliver of land that lies exposed to the smile of the sun and the fury of wind and tide. It almost missed being an island, for it is only inches above the sea. The early Indians who pulled over from the mainland to hunt deer and otter and beaver named this wind-rumpled island, Chincoteague, the land across the water. Today, a causeway five miles long connects it with the eastern shore of Virginia. Sometimes, when the sea breaks loose, it swallows the causeway. Then the people of the island are wholly isolated. But most of the time... Chincoteague enjoys the protection of a neighbor island, a great long rib of white sandy hills. The Indians called it Assateague, or Outrider. They named it well, for it acts as a big brother to Chincoteague, protecting it from the crashing winds and high waves of the Atlantic. For many years now, Assateague has been preserved as a wildlife refuge for ponies and deer and migrating waterfowl. On clear days, herds of the wild ponies can be seen thundering along its shores, manes and tails, flying in the wind. Assateague, then, belongs to the wild things, but Shinkateague belongs to the people. Sturdy island folk who live by raising chickens and by gathering the famous Shinkateague oysters and clams and diamondback terrapin The one big, joyous celebration of the year comes toward the end of July on Pony Penning Day. Then, the volunteer firemen round up the wild ponies on Assateague, force them to swim the channel to Chincoteague and pen them up for tourists and pony buyers alike who come from far and near. Of course, only the young colts are gentle enough to be sold. The money from the auction is used to buy firefighting equipment to protect the fisherfolk and chicken farmers who live on Chincoteague. There is one family whom the fishermen look upon as friendly competitors in the yearly pony sale. They are the Biebs, Grandma and Grandpa and their grandchildren, Paul and Maureen. Except for Grandma, whose father was a sea captain, they call themselves Hossmen. They are in the pony business year-round. Their place at the southern end of the island is simply known as Pony Ranch. Chapter 1 Before the Storm The clock on the shelf pointed to five as young Paul Beebe, his hair tousled and his eyes full of sleep, came into the kitchen. Paul did not even glance at the clock, though it was a handsome piece, showing the bridge of a ship with a captain at the wheel. For Paul, his banty rooster was clock up. Grandpa Beeb was bent over the sink, noisily washing his face. He came up for air, his head cocked like a robin, listening for worms. Just hark that head rooster, he grinned, his face dripping. He reached for the towel Grandma was handing him. That banty, he went on as he mopped his face. Is better than any old tinky alarm clock. Why, he's even more to depend on than that fancy ticker your seafaring father brought us from France, he gave Grandma a playful wink. What's more, you never have to wind him up, and I've never known him to sleep overtime. Me neither, Paul said, even when it's cloudy. The old man and the boy went thudding in their sock feet to the back hall to their jackets hanging over the wash tubs and their boots standing side by side. Grandma's voice tailed them. Wrap up good now. The wind is bitter. She came to the doorway and looked sharply at Paul. I got to brew some sassafras roots to pertin' you up. I declare you look older and tireder than your grandpa. Who wouldn't look tuckered out? Grandpa asked in pride. Paul took the midnight watch on Misty this household, Grandma sputtered, does more worrying over Misty having a colt than if she was queen birthing a crown prince. Well, she is, Paul exclaimed. She's a movie queen. Yup, Grandpa joined in. Name me another Chincoteague pony who's a star of a moving picture like Misty is. And her being famous, well, it's made a heap of difference to us here at Pony Ranch. Paul nodded vehemently. Yes, Grandma, you know we sell more ponies because of her and we can buy better fodder and this summer I'm going to build her a fine stable and... And I'll never hear the end of it, Grandma grumbled. Our place is a regular mecca for folks coming to see her and when she has her colt, land oh mercy, they'll be thicker than oysters in a pie. Paul and Grandpa were out the door. Grandma's sputtering bothered them no more than a mosquito before the fuzz comes off a stinger. A faint light had begun to melt the darkness, and there was a brim of dawn on the sea. The wind, blowing from the southwest in strong and frequent gusts, rippled the old dead marsh grasses until the waves and the grass were one. As Grandpa and Paul hurried to the barn, a golden-furred collie leaped down from the bed in a pickup truck and came galloping to meet them. Hi, Skipper. Paul gave him a rough-and-tumble greeting, but his heart wasn't in it. He caught at his grandfather's sleeve. Grandpa, he said, talking fast. Buck Jackson's got some she-goats up to his place. So? Well, if Misty should be bad off, what in tarnation are you getting at? Maybe we'd ought to buy a goat, just in case. In case of what? Misty couldn't give enough milk to her colt. The old man pulled himself loose from Paul. Get out of my way, boy. What's the sense of worrying now? We have chores to do. Listen to those ponies raising a ruckus to be fed, and all the ducks and geese a quacking and a clacking and carrying on. Everybody's hungry, including me. But Grandpa, Paul was insistent, you yourself said April or May colts have a better chance of living than the March ones. The old man stopped mid-stride. It just ain't fittin' for colts to drink goat's milk, he said gruffly, especially Misty's colt. He clumped off toward the corn crib, muttering and shaking his head. Paul skinned the fence rails and ran toward the made-over chicken coop that was now Misty's barn. He heard her whinnying in a low, rumbly tone, his heart pumping in excitement as he slowly opened the door. She came to him at once, touching nostrils as if he were another pony, then nibbling his straw-colored hair so he couldn't see what he was looking for. Gently, he pushed her away and stepped back. He looked underneath and around her, but there was no little colt lying in the straw. He looked at her sides. They were heavily rounded, just as they had been at midnight, and the night before, and the night before that. Surely it will come today, Paul said to her, trying to hide his disappointment. For a while it can live right here with you, but as soon as school's out, "'I've got to build us more stalls. "'Maureen can help.' "'Help what?' came a girl's voice. "'Paul turned to see his sister standing on tiptoe, "'looking over his shoulder. "'Help me pump,' he said hastily. "'Paul and Maureen quit lollygagging. "'Water those ponies before they die of thirst. "'Most of Grandpa's herd were still away "'on winter pasture at Deep Hole "'on the north end of the island.' There, pine trees grew in groves and the whole area was thickly underbrushed so the ponies could keep warm out of the wind, and they could fend for themselves living on wild nickbush and cord grass. But here, at Pony Ranch, Grandpa kept only his personal riding horses, Billy Blaze and dependable old watch-eyes, as well as a few half-wild ponies from Assateague, all winter long this little bunch of ragged creatures ran free out on the marshland, fenced in only by the sea. But every morning they came thundering in, manes and tails blowing like licks of flame. At the gate, they neighed shrilly, demanding fresh water and an ear or two of corn. It was Paul and Maureen's job to pump gallons and gallons of water into an old tin wash tub and dole out the ears of corn. It's your turn to pump, Maureen said. I'll let the bunch in and I'll parcel out the corn. Don't you start bossing me, Paul retorted. One grandma in the house is enough, he grinned in superiority. You pump too slow anyway. Beside, it develops my muscles for roundup time. As Maureen let the ponies into the corral two at a time, they dashed to the watering tub and drank greedily. Paul could hardly pump past enough. He drew in a breath, cold or no, this was the best time of day, and no matter how hard and fast his little arms worked, nor how many times he had to fill the tub, he liked doing it. It made him feel big and strong almost godlike, as if he had been placed over this hungry herd and was their good provider. He liked the sounds of their snorting and fighting to be first, and he liked to watch them plunge their muzzles deep in the water and suck it in between their teeth. He even liked it when they came up slobbering and the wind sent spatters against his face. Usually, Misty was first at the watering tub, for she ran free with the others out on the marsh. But now that her colt was due, she was kept in her stall, where she could be watched constantly. So Paul watered her last. He wanted her to take her time and to drink her fill, without a bunch of ponies squealing and pawing at the gate getting her excited. But today, even with the tub all to herself, she acted skittery as dandelion fluff. Not drinking, but playing with the water, blowing it until it made ripples. Paul grew alarmed. Why isn't she drinking? Did that mean it would be soon? Or was she sick inside? He stopped pumping and gave himself up to the bitter sweet worry. It could be this very morning. Then he'd have to stay home from school to help dry off the colt and see that Misty was a good nurser. Paul! Maureen! Grandpa's voice boomed like a foghorn. Put Misty in and come help me feed. He stood in the barnyard with his head thrown back, shrilling to the heavens. Wadi dee, wadi dee. The call was a magnet, pulling in the fowl. Wild ones from the sky, tame ones from the pasture. Geese and ducks and gulls, cocks and chickens and guinea hens came squawking. Above the racket, Grandpa barked out his orders. You children shuck off this corn for the critters, he handed them a coal scuttle, heaped high with ears. I got to police the migrators. Dab blasted if I let them Canadian honkers hog all the feed while my own go hungry. Faster than crows, the children shelled out the corn until the scuttle held nothing but cobs and the last of the barnyard was settled down to a good picking and pecking pace. Grandpa scanned the sky for stragglers, but he saw none. Only grey wool clouds and an angry wind pulling them apart. "Looks like a storm brewing, don't it?" Paul laughed. "You should have been a weatherman, Grandpa, instead of a horseman. You're always predicting." "Always right, ain't I? Here, Maureen, you run and hang up the scuttle." I can whiff grandma's bacon clean out here and I'm hungry enough to eat the haunches off a grasshopper. It was a bumper breakfast. The table was heaped with stacks of hot cakes and thick slices of bacon. Grandpa took one admiring look at his plate before he tackled it. Nobody, he said. Not nobody but your grandma understands slab bacon. Over the diner in Temperanceville they Frazzle all the sweetness out so there's no fat left. Tastes like old gumboots. Grandma beamed. If someone had given her a string of diamonds or a bunch of florist flowers, she couldn't have looked more pleased. Clarence, she asked in her best company voice, will you have honey or molasses on your hotcakes? How can I have molasses when I ain't had no lasses at all? Paul and Maureen giggled at Grandpa's old joke. Not just to please him, but because it tickled them. And when they went visiting, they sprang it on their cousins every chance they got. Quiet settled down over the table, except for the clatter of forks and Grandpa slurping his coffee. With second helping, talks began. Grandma, Paul asked, How'd you like a few goats? A billy, maybe. But a she-goat for sure. You see... She could be a nurser, just in case. Grandma put down her fork. Paul Beebe, I swan, it must be mental telegraphy. Why, only last night I dreamt we had a whole flock of goats, and Misty friended with a nice old nanny, and she let her kid run with Misty's baby, and they'd butt each other and play real cute. Grandpa clapped his hands over both ears. I'm deaf, he bellowed. I heard nary a word. He got up from the table. Six o'clock, he announced. You children, light out and clean Misty's stall. School time will be here before you know it. The season a fret today, and there's a look to the sky I don't like. No time for Gabbin. Pshaw, said Grandma. My daddy, who was a captain of the Yes, ID, he mimicked. Your daddy, who was captain of the Alberta the last sailing vessel here to Shinkateek, he'd say, Well, what do you say? He'd say, Grandma repeated, proud of her knowledge of the sea, there's barely a riffle of waves in the bay, glass is down low, and we're due for a change in weather. But Clarence, aren't we always in for a change? Chapter 2 A Duck in the Horse Trough When Misty's stall was mucked out and her manger filled with sweet hay, Paul and Maureen burst into the kitchen, laughing and out of breath. You say it, Maureen. No, you. Paul shuffled his feet. He glanced sidelong at Grandma. Me and Maureen. I and Maureen. Maureen and I, well... He blurted, We'd like to say some Bible verses, with a little change to one of them. Grandma almost dropped the cup she was wiping. She spun around, smiling in surprise. There's no call to blush about quoting from the good book, she said. It's a fine thing. Paul swallowed hard. His eyes flew to Maureen's. You say it, he urged. Maureen looked straight at Grandma. Last Sunday in church, she spoke quietly and earnestly preacher read there's a time to sow and a time to reap yes that's what he said Paul nodded and he said there's a time to cry and a time to laugh and a time to love and a time to hate Maureen added Paul began talking like the preacher there's a time to make war and a time to make peace how about that grandma's eyes were shinier than her spectacles You heard every bit of the message, and here I thought you two was doing crossword puzzles all the time. Now then, what's the made-up part, she asked encouragingly. The answer came loud and in unison. There's a time to go to school and a time to stay home. And just when is that, Grandma demanded, when a mare is ready to foal. Paul said with a look of triumph. The kitchen grew very still. Grandma shook out the damp towel and hung it above the stove. To gain thinking time, she put the knives and forks in the drawer and each teaspoon in the teaspoon rack. She then glanced from one eager face to the other. You ever see a wild mare birthing her youngin?" They shook their heads. Nor have I. Nor your grandpa either, she looked far out on the marsh, at the ponies grazing peacefully. Well, the way the mares do it, she said at last, is go off a day, maybe more, and hide in some lonely spot. And the next time you see her come to the watering trough, there's a frisky youngster dancing alongside. Why, one mare swung clean across the channel to Hamaki Island to have her baby. And three days later, they both come back and join the herd. Even that little baby could swim. But they're wild, Grandma, Paul said. Misty's different. She lived with people since she was a tiny foal. Grandma took out an old cork and gave a can of powder and began scouring the stains on her carving knife. She nodded slowly. And Misty's smart. If she needs help, she'll come up here to the fence and let... Must know, right? smart quick, same as she does when she's thirsty, now. You both wash up and change your clothes. You touched the wrong fuse when you quoted the Bible verse to get excused from school. But Grandma, Paul persisted, how can Misty tell anyone she needs help when Grandpa's in town shucking oysters and we're trapped in school and... Grandma didn't answer, yet somehow she interrupted. She handed Maureen a pitcher of milk and a sauce dish. As if by magic, wait a minute, a big tiger-striped cat appeared from under the stove and began lapping the milk, even before Maureen finished pouring it. Tell you what, Grandma said after a moment's thought. I promise to go out every hour and look in on Misty. You will? I will. And will you telephone the school in case she needs us? I'll even promise you that. Cross my heart. Somewhat appeased, Paul and Maureen washed and hurried into their school clothes. When they dashed out of the house, Grandpa was climbing into his truck. Hop in, he said. I'll give you a lift. He put his key in the ignition, but didn't start the car a blast of surprise escaped him. Great balls of fire, look. What is it, Grandpa? He pointed a finger at a big white goose upended in the watering tub. Just look at him in the water. Now, he said in awe, I got a sure omen. Of what? Both children asked. Grandpa recited in a whisper. "'A goose washing in the horse trough means tomorrow we'll be bad off.' "'Who says so?' Paul wanted to know. "'My uncle Zedekiel was a weather predictor, "'and he said geese in the trough is a foredoomer of storm.' "'Grandpa started the car, a troubled look on his face. "'The day at school seemed never-ending.' Maureen answered questions like a robot. She heard her own voice say, Christopher Columbus was one of the first men who believed the world was round, so he went sailing east by west. Very good, Maureen. You may sit down. But Maureen remained standing, staring fixedly at the map over the blackboard. Her mind suddenly went racing across the world and backward in time. a tall masted ship not the one that columbus had sailed but the one that brought the ponies to assateague and she saw a great wind come up and she watched it slap the ship onto a reef and crack it open like the shell of an egg and she saw the ponies spewed into the sea and she heard them thrashing and screaming in all of that wreckage and one even looked just like misty i said The teacher's voice cut through the dream. You may sit down, Maureen. The class tittered as she quickly plopped into her seat. In Paul's room, an oral examination was about to take place. We will begin alphabetically, Miss Ogle announced. Question number one, she said in her crisp voice, with all books closed, explain to the class which is older, the earth or the sea, and where the first forms of life appeared. We will begin with Teddy Appleyard. Teddy stood up, pointing to a blood-splotched handkerchief he held to his nose, and was promptly excused. Well then, Paul Beebe, you are next. Dead silence. We'll begin. The teacher raised her voice with Paul B E E B E E E. The name stretched out like a rubber band, but even then, it didn't reach him. He was not there, in the little white schoolhouse at all. In his mind, he was back at Pony Ranch, and Misty had broken out of her stall and gone tearing down the marsh, and in his fantasy, he saw the colt being born, and while it was all wet and new, it was sucked so slowly. Slowly down into the bog, there was no sound, just squeaking in the grass. Tap, tap, Miss Ogle wrapped her pencil sharply on the desk. Boys and girls, she said, you have all heard of people suffering from nightmares, but I declare, Paul Beebe is having a daymare. The class burst into noisy laughter, and only then did Paul break the bad dream apart. Back home in Misty's shed, all was warm contentment. There was plenty of hay in the manger, good hay, with here and there some sweet bush clover, and a block of salt hollowed out from many linkings so her tongue was just fitted. She worked at it now in slow delight, her tongue strokes stopping occasionally as she turned to watch a little brown hen rounding out a nest in the corner of her stall. Fearlessly, the hen let Misty walk around her as if she liked the company, and every now and again even made soft clucking sounds. Out on the marsh, Billy Blaze and Watch Eyes, pretending to be stallions, fought and neighed over the little band of mares. Misty looked out at them for a long time, and then went to her manger and slowly began munching her hay. The hen... Now satisfied with her nest, fluffed out her feathers and settled herself to lay one tiny brown egg. Contentment closed them in like a soft cocoon. That concludes Chapter 2. Thank you for joining us on Sleep Stories for Equestrians. Enjoy this music as it lulls you off to sleep.